I'm more in the camp that this is a, uh, a bear market rally, you know, that, that we're, we're broadly in a bear market. Um, I, I think that will be exacerbated by the fact that we're um, likely headed into recession uh, next year. Welcome to the latest installment of Currently, the podcast that brings you the week's current events in finance, business and technology with insight from the experts. Today, Ryan Pallotta is talking with Jason Trennett. Jason is Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Strategus. The podcast starts with Jason explaining why he wrote his 2015 book, My Side of the Street, and why it remains relevant today. After describing how his passion for intelligence gathering informs how he looks at investments, Jason lays out the three fundamental principles underpinning the way he does business. Jason then voices his skepticism about Wall Street's prediction that profits will be up next year, given that a recession seems inevitable. He also airs his concerns about tech companies valued on revenue growth and not growth in earnings or cash flows. Lastly, Ryan and Jason talk about the price activity of Bed Bath & Beyond in recent weeks. He explains that meme stocks are damaging confidence in the system and companies' ability to raise money. Our podcast with Jason Trennett reminds us that expert insights are incredibly powerful. If you have the Prometheus app, you have direct access to some of the brightest minds in our industry and can use their expertise to make informed decisions with your money. Go to our website, prometheusalts.com, and get started today. And now, enjoy our talk with Jason Trennett. Jason, thank you for joining us. I just wanted to start off a little bit by talking about your book, which you know is incredible, My Side of the Street, Why Wolves, Flash Boys, Quants, and Masters of the Universe Don't Represent the Real Wall Street. Before we get into some of the more current event stuff, I wanted to hear a little bit about why you wrote this book and maybe a little bit why it's relevant today and what you see going on in the market. Well, you know, it's it's funny because I um, I grew up in a household that I, I didn't even really know what Wall Street was until I was uh, maybe a junior in college, and then um, I fell in love with the markets, and um, I never have done anything ever since. So that's you know, it's thirty four years ago, thirty yeah, thirty four years ago. So, um, and I you know. Um, I see a lot of the good in Wall Street. It's I've made it my my life. I, I live in Manhattan, uh, worked oh, wow. for various Wall Street firms over the years, and I, I know the way the book is. Po- I know the way the industry is popularly portrayed, uh, but I've seen a very different side of the street in my experience. And, and I also am a big fan of economic history and financial mm-hmm. history, and I feel quite strongly that um, the U.S. is the U.S. because we have very deep financial markets. So it's not to say there aren't bad, bad actors, but I think there are bad actors in every industry. And, and I wanted to tell my side of, of my experience with Wall Street, which has been overwhelmingly positive. And what was it that you think when you were young that gave you that bug that made you realize that you never wanted to do anything else? Yeah, yeah I'm, I've always been a big current events junkie and politics junkie. So I, I, I went to uh, Georgetown University undergrad and I um, went with the idea, believe it or not, um, which is crazy, just give my personality, but I, I thought I wanted to work in the intelligence industry. I wanted to be a spy 
<laughs> and um, again, it would have been the worst spy uh, of all time. <laughs> but the uh, but you know, I I love just learning things and puzzle and all of those things. So they're, they're very, I, I think in some ways they're, they're very complementary types of ideas where you're, you don't have all the information you're trying to piece things together. And then there's an excitement, of course, um, in, um, in the markets. And then there's always, there's always as particularly when it comes to stocks, there's always a story uh, attached to it. There's always people attached to the, to the story and mm -hmm. which makes it interesting. So I think it's all of those things. And, it, you know, here I am all these years later and I, I still love it. I, 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 I have an office, but I sit on the sales and trading floor with, uh, my colleagues, um, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Uh, mm -hmm. so we talk about all the things that are going on in the markets every day. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. It's very, I find it very fulfilling and, uh, and interesting. Well, when you say that the quants, flash boys, and masters of the universe, the wolves of Wall Street, don't represent the real Wall Street, what are you saying there? And what is what is the real Wall Street? If you could describe that. Well, you know, if you kind of think about it, the, you know, the um, raison d'etre of, of financial markets um, is to allow companies and municipalities and government agencies to raise capital. Mm -hmm. And it's there. There's the speculative side, which I, I respect. You know, we have many speculators as clients. It's, that's fine, but um, I, I think that um, let's say trying to position your server uh, closer to the New York Stock Exchange server uh, to get uh, an edge on trading. You know, to me, that really is not. That's not investing. It's that's not even speculating. Right. I don't. I don't even know yeah. what that is. That's a, a technological arbitrage uh, yeah i did i did like that book flash boys um it's a great book <laughs> mostly also because it centered in on some bankers that were based in toronto where i'm from um i think at royal bank or bank of montreal that's um, right it started in on some traders that were based here in canada right because i think the fundamental and what they what they uh came up with that um that's iex um mm -hmm. is really just the idea that there's a certain fairness that has to be maintained and so i you know i i love the business so much that i am a little bit of a stickler for some of the ethics issues uh, and some of the securities regulations because i think it's so important to the i think it's so important to our economy i think it's so important um to our country that you you don't want to see bad actors take it over because then, you know, unfortunately it, the, the whole industry gets a bad reputation mm -hmm. and people don't necessarily see what it's all about and, and the, the social utility that, that, it ha that the industry has, which I feel very strongly about. And if you could describe like what your experience on Wall Street has been to date, you, it seems like you have a much more affectionate side to Wall Street maybe doing good in the world and how it's you know, can, you know, help people as opposed to people that are just trying to make a profit. Flash Boys was literally guys laying down fiber to try to make money on fractions really? of a second. And it was a more greedy side of Wall Street. When you say that you don't see the that as the real side of Wall Street, do you see it as less greed? You know, Gordon Gecko has that famous say, saying, greed is good in the movie Wall Street. How do you see Wall Street from your perspective? Well, again, I, you know, I think, I, I think one of the things that Gordon Gecko also says is, you know, what's worth doing is worth doing for money. Um, you know, it's just like any other service, right? Um, and, and Wall Street, the, the service is to raise capital for ideas, for dreams, and not to be overly, you know, not, not to be overly um, saccharine about it, but 
you know, those dreams and those businesses employ lots of people and they, they provide goods and services that people come to rely on and, and help them live longer and you know, do all sorts of good things. And so, and I, I really believe free markets have that ability. I, I think I believe in free markets much more than central planning. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe the free markets are better allocators of capital than, than small groups of people, especially small groups of unelected people like the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I would much rather have, uh, you know, a very free and open market. And I, I think that leads to better outcomes, uh, generally speaking. Well, I love how you started this conversation talking about how you were interested in intelligence and potentially wanted to work for the CIA or work as a spy. Um, how do you now use your your passion for intelligence when you're looking at macro markets, when you see things like the war in Ukraine and you you have to analyze so many different things that are going on in the world and so much information, how can you use that? And and how do you see the landscape of the macro markets like the war in Ukraine right now happening and how does it, that influence your investing style? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Ryan, I would tell you that, you know, of course there's a lot of these, issues, particularly, let's say, let's take the war in the Ukraine as an example. I mean, this is hardly a core competency of my firm, right? Strategus is a macroeconomic firm that focuses on investment strategy, economics, uh, Washington policy. But I do think we're very good at what we do. We, we cover some of the biggest institutions in the world. Um, but, you know, what we, we have uh, both a fundamental and a technical approach. So we, we listen to the message of the markets very, very closely. We follow that very closely. Chris Verone is one of my <clears throat> colleagues that does a great job <clears throat> on the technical side. Um, I tend to focus a little bit more on on, um, on valuation and fundamentals. But we also we, we have uh, hundreds of institutional clients around the world, 45 states, 25 countries. And I think... You know, we learn a lot from them as well. And so much of our work is really driven by client questions. Um, so th- that, you know, there is, a mo- again, there's a mosaic theory. Um, and I- I've d- been doing this long enough to know that you- there-, there are many times you can know everything about uh, a particular investment or investment thesis, except for the one thing that actually matters. Right. So that that, that happens all the time. Uh, so th- there's, a- a- you know, the key to the business is also to stay humble enough to, to change your mind if the facts change or you learn something new, because if you don't do that, you'll have a, a relatively short um, career. So it's constantly, um, I think it's constantly checking your assumptions, making sure that your um, that your um, your intelligence or your your facts are correct. As far as the, the, the war in Ukraine and, and right now, the, the, the one thing I, I do know or I feel quite strongly about uh, is that um, we have a structural shortage of fossil fuels globally. Uh, I think that was true before uh, the war uh, in Russia and Ukraine. But I think if you pair the, the war in Ukraine with, um, I would say, an unwillingness to use our natural resources in the United States, or at least use them to the extent to which we can, um, it, it seems to me that um, the West is kind of left wide open for significantly higher rates of inflation, inflation that might be more structural um, in, in nature, uh, which will have its own political ramifications. Um, I think if you're just looking today at, at the prices of natural gas, uh, it's not hard to imagine this leading to very significant political upheaval uh, in Europe and, and maybe eventually the United States. But at, at a minimum, it's going to keep inflation, in my view, higher longer 
uh, than people suspect. So I, I don't go too much further than that because I, I don't know enough about Ukraine uh, to, to make any sort of value judgments on what's happening. I'm just viewing it as, as what is. And it, it doesn't seem to me either, I would say, given recent events, that there's going to be any sort of negotiated settlement. I, I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope, hope it ends tomorrow. But th this seems like the war itself might go on a little bit longer, perhaps, than, than, um, than we had hoped. Well, it also seems that things are being exacerbated by, like you just said, inflation at home. How do you, you know, look at markets and your investment strategies when it comes to what we're seeing so much stimulus being injected into the economy? And do you think inflation is going to subside anytime soon? How are you guys looking at the policies in Washington right now? We just had the Inflation Reduction Act, which is more of like a climate change bill than anything else. But how does that influence the way that your firm operates and looks yeah. at investments? So I, I think that, so the, um, I don't think we have any, we won't quibble with the idea that there's a good chance that inflation has peaked, um, at least as far as you measure it on the, on the CPI. Um, but there are elements of inflation, particularly wages. Uh, I would also say rents. Uh, and I would say commodity prices, particularly energy and, and food which are going to be more structural uh, in, in nature. Housing prices, believe it or not, are up 20% year over year. They're going to start to come yeah. down, but housing prices lead rents. Um, if you look at the employment cost index, that's well over 5%, uh, and you have many more job openings than you have uh, unemployed people. So that's going to continue to put upward pressure on, on wages, particularly um, for entry-level jobs. And then, as we talked about before, I, I do think that there are structural shortages uh, in natural gas and oil, uh, especially if China comes back online. It, it's hard not to think that um, the bid and the price of oil and gas will, will stay there. So I put all those things together, and I, I, the, the general conclusion I would have is that the Fed is not going to be easing or pivoting anytime soon. Uh, they may slow down the pace at which they're raising rates, um, I would suspect that, but I also, um, I, I think this, this talk of the Fed pivot or Fed easing, in my, my opinion, is it's very premature. What are your current thoughts on the market rally that we've seen since June? Do you think that's going to be something that continues? It seems like there's a bit of pessimism amongst institutional invest investors. Hedge funds have appeared increasingly bearish on the economy as net short positions against the S&P 500 reached a record of about $107 billion, I think, last couple of weeks. Right. And the short positions come on the heels of a bear market rally, which we've seen. Do you think that this rally is going to continue or and what do you think is causing it? Yeah, well, I, um, I'm more in the camp that this is a, uh, a bear market rally, you know, that, that we're, we're broadly in a bear market. Um, I, I think that will be exacerbated by the fact that we're um, likely headed into recession uh, next year. In a typical recession, profits fall about 30% on average back to 1932. So that's an average. Sometimes it, profits fall more, sometimes they fall less. But right now, the expectation on, on Wall Street is for profits actually to be up next year. I, I think that's a tall order uh, because I think margins are very much going to be coming um, uh, under pressure. So I, I tend to, I tend to view this as a, a bear market rally. I think what precipitated it, uh, you know, frankly, was a, a very meaningful decline in, in 10 year treasury yields, right? From 350 down to, you almost got down to 250, where right? you got down to 260 or something along those lines. Now, 10 year treasury yields are over three. 
Um, and given my outlook on inflation, it wouldn't surprise me if if uh, ten-year Treasury yields drifted higher uh, from here. Um, so that, to me, is going to make it a little bit more difficult for what we would call longer-duration stocks, or or uh, or said another way, stocks that are very dependent upon the their terminal value because they don't have a lot of cash flows or, or profits. Uh, in the short term to, to carry them. So I'd be cautious on tech in particular um, here. And why do you think you would be cautious on tech specifically here? And do you guys look at any specific names in general when you're looking at um, you know growth in tech stocks that you would be cautious amongst where a lot of people are seeing a lot of technology names that have been you know cut in half, 70, 80% sometimes on their highs? How are you looking at technology here and why are you yeah. cautious on it? Yeah. So, and it, you know, um, broadly speaking, right, and, and technology, there's a technology sector, which is about 27% of the S&P 500. If you were to add in certain other companies that are nominally in other sectors, uh, like a Google, like a Facebook, mm-hmm. um, so on, you, you probably get close to something like 35 to 40% of, of the market, you know, writ large. Um, when I talking about the tech that I'm worried about. Again, it's, it's companies that are really have been valued on growth and top line growth and revenues, not valued on growth and earnings or cash flows. Um, and in an inflationary period, if, if you have a company that's not generating a lot of cash flows where the entire value is in the terminal value, some somewhere out five to 10 years out, those companies really almost become like zero coupon bonds. Uh, that you feel the full weight of higher long-term interest rates in the valuation because there's nothing to break your fall, nothing to mitigate the reinvestment risk that, that you have um, by having higher inflation. And so that's why that's where I'd be careful. So it's and it's especially the companies that are down 60, 70 percent already where I'd be most careful uh, mm-hmm. to, to be very honest. And, and I don't uh, of course, there are limits to how much something can go down, but I've never felt that to be a very compelling investment case to say, you know, it's down so much, how much lower can it go? Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it could go Chihuahua, you know, it could go, it could go really low. Whereas if you, you I would say the, the FANG companies, those are companies that have real earnings, they have cash flows, they can make their own luck in a way, either through share purchases or acquisitions or other things that they, they have a lot more flexibility. Whereas it seems to me, if you're very dependent upon the capital markets to continue to fund your growth, I think the world has changed a lot uh, in this transition from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. I, I think I really believe that's one of the most significant changes in monetary policy that we've seen probably since the late 70s. Well, late 70s, Volcker at one point stopped targeting um, interest rates and he started targeting bank reserves. And, and that was and it let interest rates float. That was an, a, a very, very meaningful change. Uh, it led to a, a lot of volatility. Uh, in long-term and short-term interest rates uh, and was a problem for the stock market. This is similar, in my opinion, and will be similar over, over time. With so much volatility, are you seeing a lot of you know your clients and yourselves kind of maybe hunker down and sit on the sidelines for a little bit and see what happens? Or how are you seeing institutional investors deal with a lot of this volatility right now? It, you know, it, it depends. It's Ryan, it's a good question. I, I've seen a lot of our hedge, uh, hedge fund clients, and this is, you know, this is tough. Uh, uh, clearly, I, I see a lot of them have um, 
probably caught some of the, the downside going into June, right, from March into June. Or they might have been a little late. They didn't maybe catch it perfectly. They caught that. And unfortunately, um, it, it's gone the other way in the last couple of months. So it, it's been tough. A hedge fund business has been a, a brutal business this year. It's always a brutal business. I, I think it's going to get better personally because I think if you have free-floating interest rates, you, you can make better bets on, on stocks as opposed to having 0% interest rates ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I, I find a lot of our hedge fund clients are, are short or shortish the market. I would argue a lot of our long-only uh, clients have not really taken a lot of risk off the table. I, 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 I think they may be somewhat bearish or they may talk bearishly, but I have not seen the types of capitulation that you would normally see um, at a bear market bottom. And I, I think that's yeah, I think there are signs of that, too, and even particularly in the private markets, other things that I would just say the Fed probably isn't done tightening yet. Uh, if Adam Newman's getting three hundred and fifty million dollars <laughs> from from, you know, Anderson Horowitz, it seems to me that there's probably too much money, still too much money floating around in the system. I think that's the biggest check that Andreessen Horowitz has ever written. And I think that's super interesting that they decided to make their biggest check they've ever written on a founder who has such an interesting history. Yeah, and I don't know. So I don't. I don't know Mr. Anderson, and I don't know Mr. Newman. So I, I don't want to cast aspersions on them. But it seems to me, you know, it, it, it's. I just look at that, not knowing much about that world. I say Anderson mm -hmm. Horowitz has an incredible reputation. Um, I think it's the reputation is far better than that of WeWork. Yeah, um, for sure. And Mr. Newman, and so I, I, I just find it odd a little bit that uh, they would. Um, make such a big bet on, uh, let's just say, a, a somewhat controversial figure uh, in the United States. Yeah, exactly. Business. And it's an but, interesting, yeah. there's not too much news about the business model, but he's essentially buying thousands of apartment units or apartment buildings throughout um, New York, Miami, I think Los Angeles and stuff, where, and basically going to create like a WeWork for living um, apartments. Yeah. Kind of you know, I think, you know, my own, I just sort of triggered me here a little bit, but I think there's a lot of these business models, candidly, that are, are really just a function of the fact that you've had a, um, a free cost of capital or a negative real, real cost of capital since the Fed started quantitative easing in 2009. So it, it's, um, there's a lot of businesses that have gotten funded in the past 13 or 14 years, which would have never gotten funded in the past or, or very rarely mm -hmm. in the past. And I, I, I th again, I think the world has changed now. I, I think that access to capital is going to be harder. It's going to be rationed. It'll be more expensive. And so some of these business models, which, um, you know, some people have described as innovative, which I would say some of them are very innovative and others, frankly, are just a uh, a function of free money, I, I think will be, you know, they'll be somewhat more put to the test. I, I think there's going to be um, a separating out of um, from what's real and, and what's not so real. Yeah, exactly. What you said is exactly right. With That's kind of what happened with Adam Newman's first company or second company, WeWork, where he had a lot of free money from SoftBank. I think they invested a couple billion dollars into his company, giving it a $30 billion valuation. Uh, and a lot of that free money uh, was kind of what created their demise there. Yeah. 
Right. I can't let you go without hearing your take on what's been going on lately in the meme stocks. We've seen like a massive um, collapse and rise, and people are saying that a pump and dump from Ryan Cohen. I know it's not probably not your specialty, but I'm curious what you think of that and what you see the takeaways of that. And do you think that there's like who do you think the real losers and winners are when it comes to some of these meme stocks that don't seem to go away? Well, I would say, listen, I, there's a couple of things, a couple of comments I would make on that. One is I would put that as another example of the fact that um, the, the Fed isn't done. I, I, you know, again, looking at it from a macro point of view, I would say that there, there's this level of, of speculation still in the market, given what's happened this year, probably, in my opinion, means that the Fed isn't done tightening. Uh, and it, it also might suggest that the, you, you haven't had the kind of capitulation in the markets that you normally see at, at at real bear market lows, right? When in at real bear market lows, people, it's, you know, it's a little bit like um, the worst hangover you've ever had. You know, mm-hmm. you, you kind of swear off uh, making the same mistakes ever again. And and I'm not quite sure you've seen that yet. So that, that would be one observation uh, I have. And I, I'm for free markets. I'm for speculation. I have no problem with that. Um, I, I do think that, um, I also think, though, that, um, there is probably a role for the SEC to play. And again, as I said, maybe at the start of our conversation, I, I, I do believe in, in regulations of the, of the financial markets because I do think it's a very important part of the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it should be a, a wild west. And I think when you see things like what happened in, in Bed Bath Beyond last week, I, I do think it, it, it damages confidence in the system. Um, for the average person that might want to invest. And so I, I'm not saying anything uh, went on that was untoward, but but I think to the extent to which uh, people are using technology, people are using Reddit boards and other things um, to pump up stocks and then sell them, I, you know, that that's not a particularly good development, again, for what we're trying, we're all trying to achieve in the capital markets, which is allow uh, allow people to raise money for for. Uh, entrepreneurial causes or good causes or government spending or wh- whatever whatever it is we, we deem as worthwhile. Yeah, something's broken when you see a company that's not innovative like Bed Bath & Beyond that no one's even talked about or looked at in a long time explode and then crash literally days later. Um, yeah. and you, you see people making hundreds of millions of dollars on, on that. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Your insights in the markets are super valuable and I love what you guys do at your firm. I hope we can have you on many more times. Oh, you're very kind. Uh, it's my my pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, and everyone should go read your book. We'll put a link to it. Um, okay, I, love the t- I love the title. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Take care.